morning, everybody. Um, not normally found in the basement on a Sunday mornings, but uh, just once in a while for good behaviour, I'm, I'm let out and uh, let up here. But it's uh, yeah, it's a real joy to be here. Actually, a real genuine joy to be here, and it's a joy to be part of this church. Actually, in the community of God's people in this place, and uh, there's something unusual yesterday. Actually, though we. Uh, Sometimes might try to escape this place and this community. We're never that far. I was with Dylan yesterday uh, on a uh, university sightseeing trip in Birmingham. And uh, amongst the thousands of people there, the hundreds of helpers from Birmingham University, who should be there waiting to show us around one of the uh, apartment blocks but Chloe Smith. (laughs) We were surprised. But not half as surprised as she was when I tapped her on the shoulder and she turned around and saw us. So it took her a few minutes to get over the shock of that one, I think. But it was great to uh, see Chloe doing that yesterday down in Birmingham. Um, Just before I start as well, uh, those that weren't here last week, we had Rob Whitaker here last week. And uh, if you missed last week, I would really encourage you to actually either get the DVD or... um, listen online because Rob was great just talking about our view on Christ and from what Nick was looking at before you know we have so many views on Christ and what Rob was talking about last week was so relevant in our world today so I'd really encourage you to do that Um, and I know it's been said by others recently in this place but I too believe that God is really moving by his spirit actually uh, in this place at this time and I I really believe that he's been preparing us for something new a new phase, a fresh focus and certainly the leadership and I think the whole church I really see has been really galvanised together um, throughout the whole period of the interregnum and the process of appointing Jonathan and Claire to join us in working out our faith in this community and I really believe God has got a real blessing for us if we're willing to participate in that. And really it's against that background that we continue to look at the early life of the church recorded in the book of Acts. And uh, what I'm going to do is split that into two. Uh, But before I do, I just want to give a very quick recap on where John left off two weeks ago. John looked at Acts chapters 6 and 7. Uh, two weeks ago. Um, So by way of a very, very brief uh, recap, uh, John was talking about one of the greatest challenges of the church today, one of the greatest threats, uh, is the busyness of God's people. Nick was saying before how busy he's been, you know, throughout this week, a bit of a manic week, and we hear that so often, don't we? How busy, busy people we are. And John talked to that in saying that really, you know, we need to just assess where our priorities lie. Um, And in looking at that and then through the life of Stephen, the conclusion was that commitment costs. It does cost. You know, we can't just pass by uh, without, uh, sorry, and, and expect God to do things in that way. Commitment costs, but commitment to God and his kingdom is the greatest thing that we can do. So we pick up really from that now uh, in uh, Acts chapter 8. And I'm going to split the reading in two. 
sections. We're going to look firstly at uh, verses 1 to 8 and verse 12, and then a little while later, verses 26 to 40. Okay, so if we can have the uh, verses up, please, Will. So, Acts chapter uh, 8, verses 1 to 8, initially. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed Christ there. When the crowd heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. And just down to verse 12, says, But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. I don't know about you, but uh, for me, really, if I'm honest, Philip's never really been sort of a standout character in the uh, New Testament. We hear a lot about Paul, a lot about other things, but Philip's never actually sort of been a a standout character, I would say, until now (laughs) uh, for me. So, who was Philip? Get my uh, flicker on here. Who was Philip? Okay, well, firstly, the thing to say is the apostle, the, sorry, Philip that we're looking at here today, just to avoid confusion, is not the apostle Philip. Okay, it's not one of Jesus' 12 disciples. Um, if we track back to chapter 6 uh, and verses 3 to 5, which John looked at last time, uh, we read these words. It says, Um, Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So similar to Stephen, Philip was actually one of these seven people chosen to relieve the apostles, if you like, the apostles who were too busy in a way, Uh, So Philip was one of those who was chosen to relieve the work and give practical support in waiting on tables. And we read that along with the others, Philip was known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. There's no mention of him actually being a teacher or having a string of gifts or anything else. All it says is he was known to be filled with the spirit. He had a desire and a willingness to be filled with the spirit and in turn was filled with godly wisdom. That was Philip. And what was happening at the time, <clears throat> sorry, just uh, back, uh, Philip and the majority of the believers in Jerusalem were caught up in a huge wave, wave of persecution against the followers of Jesus. 
Something just to briefly note at this point is that the church at this stage was really contained within Jerusalem, okay? Uh, And there were no real Christians beyond Jerusalem. However, such was the severity of this persecution that it says that those many were forced to leave Jerusalem and were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Now, I'm sure that this wave of real genuine terror and persecution was not welcomed at all by the Christians in the early church. Um, But we read in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I'll just read Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Uh, And this is Jesus speaking. He says... um, Jesus says, but you will receive power, this is before uh, Jesus ascended, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. So, Whilst it wasn't welcome at all, this is actually a real significant event in the life of the church because it was actually the the outworking, if you like, of what Jesus had specifically said would happen, that his people would go out into Judea and Samaria. Now, I don't know about you, but very often I read sections of the Bible uh, without pausing to understand the context or take in properly what's being said. Um, And it was actually Rob Whittaker several years ago, actually, on a church away day, who brought this certainly to my mind. He he really mentioned about this, how we we so often just sort of skim over. Um, One classic is, uh, let me read to you some verses uh, at the end of Matthew. This is one of the the classic ones uh, for me, where I read over something so many times and skipped over it, I actually hadn't noticed something for years And yet listen to this here. Matthew, if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 27, verses 51 to 53. This is uh, when Jesus is being crucified. Um, And at the moment when Jesus dies. And Matthew 51, and this is the bit I do always remember. It says, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. Okay, that's incredible enough by itself, but just read on a couple of verses here. It says, The tombs broke open, and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of their tombs, and after Jesus' resurrection, they went up to the holy city and appeared to many people. You ever thought about that? Yeah? Yeah? When Jesus died, there were many people, holy people, who were raised up out of their tombs and actually went about and revealed themselves to people. Wow. I can't, I've skipped over that so many times. I just read the curtain torn in two. But look what else happened. Okay, just a quick example for you there of how we can so often just skip over um, and maybe not actually look at what's being said and the context. Well, so back to uh, chapter 8. And in this case, it's the geographical context, actually, 
that's that very, very easy to skim over. We read these words, don't we? Um, but where actually is? So he talks about them uh, being scattered to Judea and Samaria. I'll just put a little map up here. Because where actually is Judea and Samaria? I'm sure so many of you know. Okay. <clears throat> well, Jerusalem is actually in Judea. Uh, just sort of towards the, the centre, towards the bottom there. Jerusalem is actually in Judea. Okay. And Samaria is just a relatively short distance up, uh, about a sort of a quarter of the map up, uh, due north of uh, Jerusalem there. Okay. So that's just to give you a little bit of the context to where these people were scattered. Because sometimes when I read these things, I think they sort of were sent miles away. And actually it's not the case. Uh, in this particular case uh, there. But up until this time, as I said, G- uh, uh, the followers of Jesus had remained in the city. Uh, and one author, one sort of commentary that I, I looked at before this, uh, sort of remarked that until this time, the Christians had not gone beyond the religious centre of Jerusalem. They had not gone beyond the religious centre of Jerusalem. Now, Please don't misunderstand uh, what I'm saying in this. I'm by no means inferring that these early Christians were were idle or hadn't been doing uh, what they should have been doing. Far from it. All of the preceding verses in Acts say the complete opposite um, of how active uh, and obedient and effective these early Christians have been in Jerusalem. But what I am saying is that it was God's plan voiced by Jesus himself back in Acts chapter 1 that his people should take the message beyond Jerusalem and into the surrounding area. In practice, just out there, basically. Judea was just out of Jerusalem, right in the area where they they actually were. And albeit through really difficult circumstances, of this persecution in God's plan this was the time the time had come for the Christians to move out of Jerusalem out of the religious centre and into the surrounding area so what happened okay in verse 4 to 8 we we read those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed, proclaimed the, Christ, the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. What I said earlier about who, who was Philip, um, he was an ordinary guy, but full of the spirit and full of wisdom. But he was available to God. He was available to God. And what was Philip doing? He was proclaiming Christ. And we've heard so much almost already this morning about proclaiming Christ. This is something that any of you who were away with us on the day away a short while ago, um, with Tim Hansen, he mentioned this, and I've actually heard it from one or two other people 
recently, either speakers or actually read things before. Um, and it's sort of quite a popular statement, if you like. And it says, preach the gospel and use words if necessary. And it's assigned, apparently, to Francis of Assisi. But actually, Francis of Assisi apparently didn't write that. Sorry to let you down there. And the other thing is, it's not biblical, actually. It is not biblical. So I've put a cross there. And Tim Hansen on the away day made reference to this and said exactly the same thing. Instead, and if we read uh, Ephesians from Ephesians chapter 16, verse 19, on the contrary, it tells us to speak boldly. Okay? So a different version of what Francis of Assisi is alleged to say is preach the gospel and since it's necessary, use words. That's biblical. Okay? That's the biblical view. Interesting, uh, just was talking before about Barry Woodward coming. Some of you may know, some of you may not. His his organisation is actually called Proclaim Trust. Do you know, Proclaim Trust. And that's what he does. He proclaims the good news of Jesus in words. Um, Good. So just moving on then. What was Philip doing? Okay, he was proclaiming Christ. First and foremost, he was proclaiming Christ. What else was he doing? He was doing many and varied miracles. Okay, what's the definition of a miracle? Well, there it is. I'm not brilliant with these uh, things. It comes up before, but there we go. What's the definition of a miracle? We've already been thinking about this, and Nick's been in in the prayers that he was referring to before. A miracle... dictionary definition is an event due to supernatural agency or an act of supernatural power. Okay? And in verses 6 and 7, we read that Philip was massively engaged in miracles. Um, He was, it says, when the crowd said Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to him. And many paralytics and cripples were healed, and there was great joy in that city. And later on, we read again of how uh, Philip continued doing these miracles. And again, for me, these verses, it's one of those other bits, if you like, that's very easy for us to skip over. Okay, the fact that Philip, this relatively ordinary guy, but full of the Spirit, was actually out there doing miracles. And unfortunately for me, I have to say, I so easily skip over these things without actually pausing to say, actually, what was going on there? And what is the relevance for us today? One thing's for sure is that we, uh, we, we shouldn't be surprised about what was happening. Richard's already actually referred to it. It's amazing how God sort of <laughs> pulls things together uh, on a Sunday morning. Um, but in John chapter 14, uh, verses 11 and 12. John chapter 14, verses 11 and 12. 
says this. This is Jesus uh, teaching his disciples here. John chapter 14, 11 and 12. He says, Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Okay? That's the words of Jesus saying he will do that. Now, I'm sure that in a group of this uh, number and a group of people, as many and varied as we are here today, um, that there'll probably be just about as many different views on miracles. But there's a challenge there, because actually for me, if I claim to believe uh, in God's word, and in the direct context of miracles that Jesus was talking about there in verse 14, and the account of Philip that we've looked at, and many other accounts through Acts, they all provide clear examples and evidence of the outworking of Jesus' promise and the power that's available in the name of Jesus. That's a challenge for me. That's a real challenge for me. I'm not sure about you, but I would say that occasionally uh, I experience what we sometimes refer nicely to as God incidences. Yeah? You hear people say it's a bit of a God incidence happened there. And they do happen and really do experience those. And it's great when we do. But miracles... Miracles, Oof. it's a little bit, a little bit more, isn't it? Really, in many ways. Just allow me then to share with you um, something that happened to me seven years ago. Sometimes there's never anything greater than a, a, a personal experience, almost, or a testimony. Um, so I just want to take a few minutes. Stick with it. Stick with it. It's a bit of a tale. But something that happened to me about seven years ago, and it was right at the time I was involved uh, in setting up the business that I still have and work with, with with various people. It was a big step. A very big step for us at the time. Uh, but I actually believed that God was, was in it, and still do believe that God was in it. But at the time of setting it up, the timing of our investment funds, if you like, the timing when the funds to trigger the start of the business was actually very, very critical for all sorts of reasons, which I'll not bore you with today. But it was very, very critical, and it was actually down to a very specific day. Now, I very, uh, and it had all been very carefully choreographed with about 15 different shareholders, okay, <clears throat> planned well in advance. Um, and I had made sure that my funds, if you like, were sorted and were there and were available on that date. I had everything arranged several weeks in advance, and I checked the week before. I even checked the week before that everything was sorted uh, and there'd be no hitches. Um, and as I arranged with the bank where the funds were held, the big sort of the day before the big day when we had to transfer. Uh, these funds and attempted the transfer, you can guess what happened? Didn't happen. 
it didn't happen. I contacted the bank to find out what, what, why not, what had happened, and somebody else said, you can't do this transaction this way. So I said, I've had it all set up, I've double-checked, you'll have it on your records. No, I'm sorry, you can't do this. The only way you can do this is with a cheque that will take five days to clear. Okay. Wow. That was a problem. <clears throat> that was a big problem because it was now quite late in the afternoon, actually past normal bank closing hours, and somehow I had to get £80,000 by 12 o'clock the following day. I was stuck. That was a huge problem. Um, not surprisingly, I couldn't think of anybody I could call to just say, have you got £80,000 uh, just kicking around in your back pocket or an extra large mattress that you might have that uh, under? But after that sort of initial panic, if you like, I, uh, I prayed about this, prayed about the situation, that if what I was doing was in God's plan, that somehow he would find a way. The only option that came to my mind was to contact my normal bank, my normal bank, uh, where I uh, you know, had been with for a long while and just thought, I've got to do, I've got to do something here. Uh, and contact them to see if they could somehow arrange a short-term loan or something. Uh, so I did that. I rang them up because the banks were closed by this time. It was late afternoon. I rang them up, spoke to a, a lady over the phone, um, and she said, um, no, <laughs> basically. She said, there's no way we can do any kind of transaction like that over the phone, just n never in a million years. She said, the maximum anyway is 10000 that's all you'll ever do in that time scale. But she said, the only thing you could try and do is go into your bank branch in the morning and just see. Now, I had a big problem with that because I was actually due down in Northamptonshire for a meeting at 10 o'clock the following morning. So I couldn't even go into uh, Lloyd's Bank in Lynn here. That was not an option for me. And in any case, 10,000, I guess, was really only a fraction of uh, what I needed to do. So, But in a, in a, a move of uh, some kind of optimistic belief, I actually looked up the address of a Lloyds Bank in Kettering, Northamptonshire. Never been there before, actually. But looked up the uh, address of this place, but in the optimistic belief that actually God might do something there. So I took the address of the branch and followed uh, and, and sort of set off early the following morning. And on my way to uh, Kettering, I, I prayed hard. Uh, after all, I was going to a, a bank that I'd never been near before, uh, and I was about to ask for eight times the amount that I'd been told that they could possibly provide. Um, so I knew really that nothing other in this case than a miracle could, uh, could rescue this problem. So on arrival, I, I approached the counter, poor young lady behind the counter, explained the predicament that I had, uh, and she very quickly said, no, not me, kind of thing, not me, Gov, you need to speak to the uh, manageress. Explained to her again the situation there, uh, and with, without too much hesitation, she very uh, kindly said that, unfortunately, this was way over anything that she could do in this uh, branch. And it was just at that moment 
just at that moment, I heard a very clear voice in my head which said, do you really believe that I can do this? Seriously. Do you really believe that I can do this? And after the momentary shock, I actually found myself quietly saying, do you know, yes, I do. I've been praying for two hours all the way down. I said, yes, I do, actually. And then within seconds of that happening, a man walked past where I was standing with this manageress. And he walked into an office at the side uh, of where we were standing there. And on seeing him, the manageress said, actually, just wait here a moment. A colleague from our regional office has just arrived. I'll just go and have a word to see if he's got any ideas. Okay. Wow. That's quick. (laughs) Okay. Stick with it. A few minutes later, this guy uh, came to the door and invited me in. Once again, I explained the situation to him again myself. And he said, it's not something I can do or I know how to do. But just let, just let me make a call to someone I know. What's this going on? Wow, what's going on here? Yeah. So I listened in to one of those frustrating phone calls. You've ever had those, you know, when you're sort of listening into a phone call, but you only hear half of it. And you're there going, oh, what's the other person say? What's the other person say? So I was listening into the half of the conversation that I could uh, hear. And then the conversation ended with this guy saying, that's great, thanks very much. He put the phone down and looked at me and said, very unusual, but it's all sorted. Very unusual, but it's all sorted. I just need you, I just need to complete a few forms and we can transfer the money straight away. Okay, now if that wasn't a miracle... I was amazed, (laughs) you know, yeah, so miracles aren't always about healing, they're not always about, they can be about anything, anything we choose to involve God in, do you know, God can actually work in amazing ways, Um, and since then, the past seven years has been a real journey of faith, it's the only way I can describe it, Uh, incredibly difficult. And on many occasions, I've found myself crying out to God. Learned a lesson. Not, nothing wrong with crying out to God, guys. Okay? Job did it. Lots of other people did it. I've done it. God wants us to cry out to him. Um, and on many, many difficult occasions, I've done that. But then I've watched God do amazing things. Okay? Does God perform miracles today? Yes, he does. I know he does. And no one can take that away from me. Okay. Um, Just, I just wanted to share, actually. I've not got it down in my notes here, and I'll probably come across it later, so if I slip out of time. But just on that theme, I want to just share with you uh, a reading from the Word for Today, just from a couple of weeks ago. It's amazing, as I say, how God sometimes uh, speaks to us. Um, This is Bob Gassin, the word for today from about two weeks ago. I'm sure some of you will have read it. But listen to this. He's talking actually about Jesus 
uh, restoring the blind man's sight. Uh, And he says, when Jesus restored this blind man's sight, the Pharisees tried to engage him in a theological debate about who Jesus was and where his powers came from. So as soon as we get into these things, religious people sometimes want to get into some kind of theological debate, don't they? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. He simply said, one thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. And the same arguments still continue today. Some people say the day of miracles is past. The truth is that there is no day of miracles There is only a God of miracles who says, I am the Lord and I change not. The Bible says Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. That means he was, he still is. Sorry, yes, that means what that means he was, he still is. What he was, he still is. What he did, he still does. And what he said, he still says. I thought that was really interesting from the word for today. And really just supported that fact that God does amazing things. Okay, so God does, did and does many and varied miracles. But very easy for us to skip over. We now pick up on the account of uh, Philip in verse 26 to 40. Uh, so I don't know if Will, you can put the verses up there. Okay. The section in the middle, by the way, I'm not sort of skipping it deliberately. In the, uh, the, the, the verses, you can read them at home there. Um, there's only one, there's sort of one bit in there about, uh, again, these theological arguments about laying on of hands to receive the Spirit. Okay, well, just, just in a nutshell, my view on that was that that's not the norm. The Spirit comes on us as we trust in the name of Christ and are filled with the Holy Spirit then. Uh, on this occasion, uh, it was a special occasion where the, the apostles came and laid hands on these new Samaritan Christians. But we're going to pick up now, I say, on verse, uh, uh, chapter 8 and verse 26. <clears throat> while I get back to it here. Okay. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. 
and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is this prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. There's Philip proclaiming the good news about Jesus again. As they travelled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptised? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptised him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and travelled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Good. Okay. So in these verses here, what we find here is uh, Philip um, is is, he's been doing these uh, miracles. Many people have been coming to know Jesus as Saviour. And Philip was very spiritually alert and he was also available to God <clears throat> at this time. And this time, uh, instead of the Spirit, this time God sends an angel to Philip. God sends an angel to Philip. Nothing more said about this visitation. Um, Philip appears to take it in his stride, but I actually wonder what kind of experience that was. Uh, again, we don't have time to explore angels today, but uh, one for another day maybe. But this is what happens Okay, the initial instruction was also very, very brief and simple. Just look at the, if you look at um, uh, verse uh, 26, the initial instruction was very, very brief and simple. And what's interesting is it doesn't contain all of the information about what's going to happen and what God's plan and purpose is. Uh, It's just a simple instruction to go somewhere. No great plan, nothing else revealed. And in the same way that the instruction is simple, Philip responds with a Philip responds with a um, a simple step of obedience. He just goes. He just goes. One of the interesting points to note about this account, actually, as well, is is the fact that Philip was open to change ah there we go bingo okay Philip was open to change even when humanly speaking it might not have made any sense actually and this is probably one of those things we know from all the previous verses that Philip was engaged in really active evangelism and that God was using Philip in a mighty, mighty way uh, with many people coming to Christ. But now the instruction from God was to leave that work and to go off to a desert road. 
And if we look to the end of the account, and then on to the final mention of uh, Philip, in fact, the only other mention of Philip in Acts, it appears that Philip never actually returned to Samaria. So Philip actually left this sort of vibrant work on this instruction to go to this dusty desert road. So he was certainly open to change, and he wasn't, oh, he wasn't one for clinging on to uh, what, what I guess many would say was a, a successful ministry, if you like. He was open to this change for uh, listening out for God's leading, and even if that meant change, he was going to do it. And when I was just thinking about this, I thought there's perhaps a lesson for us here, both personally and as a church, as we prepare for the arrival of Jonathan and Claire. Actually, are we going to be open to change if that change is of God's leading? We need to, if that's what God is going to lead us to. We don't have time to sort of look into the detail, really, of this passage. But what this passage sums up beautifully is what we are called to do. We can so easily get in, involved in overcomplicating things and or feeling in, inadequate or feeling that something isn't me. You know, this proclaiming Jesus, it's not me, actually. We can get so many reasons or complications there. But in essence, the lesson from Philip today is that we're called to be filled with the Spirit and to be obedient witnesses to Jesus and as demonstrated by Philip, when we do this, God can work mightily through any one of us. Any one of us, God can work mightily. So, almost back to where we started in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus' words, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. So, the question on the theme for this morning then was, where is your Judea and Samaria? Where is my Judea and Samaria? It could be anywhere. And God may call you to be his witnesses in all sorts of places, work, wherever that is. But for most of us, sorry. <laughs> can I suggest that actually it might be here, <clears throat> and maybe more specifically our immediate friends and neighbours? That's where Judea was, actually. Judea and Samaria were just out there. Just out there they were. So when we read these verses and ask ourselves the question, where is your Judea and Samaria? For many of us, it's here. I've tried to fit on where I think most people live in this uh, building. I've probably missed a few off, and if I have, I apologise. But uh, just about caught highly on the bottom there. Walton, no, I couldn't miss that off. No, no. So I apologise if I haven't got you on there. But you know the sentiment here. Wherever it is that God has called us to do that. And I just want to conclude now. Time is up.
I conclude now with a car journey. <clears throat> I don't know whether any of them are in here. I don't know. I don't think so, actually. So I'm not going to embarrass anybody. A car journey on the way back from something called Ignite a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Ignite, a youth worship event and things over on the Wirral in Merseyside. And you often take a car of young people there once a month or twice a month, however often they want to go. Uh, and on the return journey, it's always interesting to listen to what they're talking about. I just sit there quietly. Dad's taxi, that's me. Okay, but there was a discussion going on in the car about CU and putting in the Christian Union here at Lynn. And the discussion was going something along the lines of, it wouldn't it be great if we could put a bit of increased effort uh, into it and increase the focus on the good news of Jesus. And my heart was warming to this all the time. I thought, this is great. And then the comment was made that so few young people will have ever seen or looked at a Bible and that we might be the only Bible or the only word from God that in this day and age some people might see. And that was a real challenge to me as well, coming from these young people for someone to say that. And sadly it's so true. But that's why God has placed each one of us here uh, in this Judea and Samaria of Lynn and the surrounding area of Thelwall, Grappenhall, Appleton, High Lee, wherever you are, to be witnesses to the hope that we have in Christ to be Jesus' people here today in this area. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, Father. Forgive us, Lord, for when we sometimes skip over bits or we, we maybe even choose to skip over some of the difficult bits. Father God, I thank you that your word is your holy word to us. And it is alive and it speaks to us today in the same way it has been for generations. Father God, help us to just fix our eyes on your word and on what you would have, do, have us do in this place, in this Judea and Samaria of Lim and the surrounding area, Lord, as we move forward. Father God, we ask for your Holy Spirit. Would you pour out your Holy Spirit upon each and every one of us, we pray, so that we might be Philip's. In the name of Jesus, we ask this now. Amen. Amen. And we finish today with the song, uh, one that we do all know, I'm sure, Rejoice. Rejoice, Christ is in you. That's the promise of the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Holy Spirit isn't something out there, uh, whatever. When we get the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is within us. Rejoice, rejoice, Christ is in us. The hope of glory in our hearts.